bench for us before you move the table or anything. Well, praise God. What an exciting day. Um, Dr. Jacobs has been ministering on the subject of the authority of the believer. So, of course, that's what we're going to continue with today. So let's start off with some prayer. Um, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and receive from your word. We thank you that your word always helps us, and we thank you that your word works every single time. I thank you that the congregation has ears to hear. I thank you that you give me the words to speak. And Holy Spirit, sir, we thank you that although we have notes, we understand this is your service, and we're open to whatever it is you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when talking about the authority of the believer, the best place to start is Genesis 1.26. And the first verse we're going to look at is out of the Amplified Classic version. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, talking about the authority of the believer. And of course, they have it on the screen as well. And if we read it, it says, God said, let us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image after our likeness, and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame beast, and over all the earth. If you notice here, it's the word complete authority. It's not partial authority. It's not some authority. Complete authority. Adam had just as much power to succeed as he did to fail. Just as much power as he... God gave him the keys and said, it's yours. Um, In the King James, this word is dominion. Um, Dominion in the original means to subjugate something. Now, we don't often use the word subjugate, but subjugate kind of means this. It means, well, if you are a farmer and you have a yoke, if you're not familiar what a yoke is, a yoke was a big piece of um, equipment, usually had a beam and then two kind of loops on it. You would set it around the necks of a horse or an ox, and then they would plow or they would pull a wagon or they would do something that you couldn't do. But what you had is you had these things called reins. And you could control, with all that power, you could control which way they went because you had this yoke that you'd put on the animals. To subjugate means that you take the yoke that you own, you put it on something, and then you steer it. So what God was telling Adam was you take your yoke of authority, put it on my creation, and turn it where you want it to go. That's what authority is. I'm taking my authority, my yoke of authority, I'm putting on what God created, and I am turning it where I want it to go. So if I don't like something that's happening in my life, I've got to put my yoke on it, and I've got to turn it to where I want it to go. Now, we understand we turn things using our words. Our words are important. But we see here what God did is God gave Adam complete authority. Complete authority. So he equipped him. The second thing that we see he did is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. If we go to Genesis 2, 15 and we read, we're actually going to read verses 15 through 17 in the King James. It says this, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now the word keep means guard or protect. And we continue on in verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden that thou mayest freely eat, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest, therefore thou shalt surely die. So here's what we see. God gave Adam authority. Now listen, authority is different than power. 
Power means you can do something. Authority means you can do something and you have the right to do it. When I leave today, I will get in my truck and I will drive home. If you get in my truck and drive to your home, that's not right. You have the power to do it, but you weren't authorized to do it. Those are two different things. So he, Adam was given the power and the right to do it. So what God did is said, you've got all this power. Let's give you some responsibility now. Your job is to take care of the garden and to guard the garden. That's, that, that's a clue. It's your job. God didn't say, I'll guard it. He said, you guard it. You are in charge of it. Yeah. Now, it's inter interesting, right after verse 17, verse 18, it talks about Adam getting a wife. If you notice, he had a job before he got a wife. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty good pattern to follow. Because if he don't got a job and you become his wife, guess who's going to pay for everything? Yeah. It ain't going to be God. <laughs> it's going to be you. So that's just something to think about. You see, God wanted to make sure that Adam knew how to adult before he was asked to be a husband. Nobody wants to marry a child. I remember one day I was driving home from work, headed up Highway 403, right by the John Deere dealership. And I was driving along, all of a sudden the Lord just said something to me, just out of the blue. I was kind of meditating on some things. But he said, your future daughter-in-law wants to be a wife to a husband. Now, my son Sam's 13. He's nowhere near getting married, so everybody settle down. But that's what God said. He said, your future daughter-in-law wants to be a wife to a husband. And, of course, God's pattern with me. He'll usually say something like that, and then if I shut up, then he'll explain. He said, she doesn't want a child she has to babysit. And then he continued, you have a responsibility as a father to train your son up not only how to be a good Christian, but how to be a good man and how to be a good adult. He said, so you need to be thinking about what are the things that he's going to bring to the table when he gets married. You know, I'm thinking, well, he, he knows how to use his faith. He loves God. He loves the local church. He knows how to pray in tongues. You know, I'm going through this list. And God said, well, that's good. Yep. But what about everything else? You live in a natural planet. Do you expect your daughter-in-law to be your slave while he just prays all day long? Can he mow some grass? Or does she have to do it? Can he dig a hole for, so she can put a pretty rose bush in it? Or does she have to do it? Does he know how to vacuum the carpet? Mop a floor? Dust some furniture? Cook a meal? Fold some clothes? Put them away? Do some laundry? I mean, do you expect her to do everything for him because he just wants to lounge around and listen to the Lord? He said, if you give her... A child, and she is expecting a man. You are responsible for starting their marriage off on a lie. You've deceived her into getting something that she didn't realize she was getting. So you can't be shocked a little down the road when she has buyer's remorse. I bought something. I thought I was getting something else. I'm not real happy with my purchase. Can I get a refund? He said, Sean, that will be your fault. And you have to take responsibility because you trained him to do nothing. Now he's talking to me. Don't everybody get all somber. He's talking to me. I'm talking to you. But that's what he said. It's your responsibility. Well, that was free. 
So we see Adam here. What does he have? He has all this authority. God gave him responsibility so he'd have something to use his authority for. And then we turn to Genesis chapter 3, starting verse 6. And we're going to read some from verses 6 through 12. And of course, you guys know where we're going with this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 from the King James Version. It says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Now, of course, the serpent, Satan, had been tricking Eve. And the Bible says uh, when Paul wrote Timothy, he said Eve got deceived. He never said Adam did. Adam knew exactly what he was doing, but Eve got deceived. See, Adam knew what he was doing because Adam was the one who was given the responsibility. Guard it. He didn't guard it. He didn't guard the garden. So when the Adam saw that, the, or excuse me, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree is to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat it and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Adam was right there during the whole thing. Now, the devil may have been working on her when he wasn't around, but when she actually did the eating, he stood right there and watched the whole thing happen. What did he not do? He did not use his authority and take responsibility. You see, this is the thing. You can't use authority without responsibility. If you don't realize it's your responsibility to address an issue, you'll never address it. We have to understand it's our responsibility to use our authority to fix this thing. If I don't understand I have any authority, why do I ever have to deal with anything? Nothing's ever my responsibility. I have to recognize I have responsibility for my life and where my life is. What do I do? I take the reins and I turn things so that I have the life I want to have. It's my responsibility to do so. So we continue on. We look at verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Verse 8. And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Verse 9. And the Lord called unto Adam and said, Where are you? Well, of course, God knew where he was. Well, listen, when God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know. He's not looking for you, to you for the answer. God knew. God knew. He's just waiting to see how do you respond. So verse 10 says, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now notice this. When Adam didn't carry out his responsibility, fear came. How many times have we not done what we known we should have done or did the wrong thing, and then we realize, oh, no, people are going to find out I'm afraid. Afraid for what? My reputation. Adam was afraid. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Oh, no. Trouble's coming. So God asked him, what's, what's going down? He said, I was naked and afraid. Isn't there a show that's called Naked and Afraid? Probably not scriptural, but anyway. <laughs> Verse 11. And, and notice he hid himself. When people don't fulfill their responsibilities, a lot of times they'll try to hide. And he said, who told you you were naked? I think that's a great question. Have you eaten of the tree wherever I commanded you that you should not eat? What was Adam's response? He didn't even answer the question. He didn't even answer it. What does he do? Verse um, 12. And the man said, the woman who you gave to me, she gave uh, of the tree and I did eat it. He made an excuse. He didn't even answer. Didn't even answer. What did he do? 
he made an excuse. What did Adam do? He played the victim. He played the victim. I couldn't carry out my responsibility because of the woman. I couldn't do what you gave me authority to do and you gave me the responsibility of doing. I couldn't do it because her womanly ways were more powerful than my ability to do the right thing. See, a victim is someone who is oppressed by another. What was Adam saying? She made me do the wrong thing. It's not my fault. I'm the victim. It's not my fault. I'm the victim. What is that? That's a lie. I remember Pastor Donna telling the story. She'd always tell her kids she'd pound line. Don't lie. Don't be a liar. Who's the father of lies? The devil's the father of lies. The devil your father? No. Then don't be a liar. Excuses are usually lies as well. But we'll tell them for ourselves. We'll tell them for our children. Why? Well, lies are used to try to justify why someone did something they shouldn't have done or didn't do something they did. Excuse me. Excuses are used to justify why I didn't do something I should have done or why I didn't do something I should have. Lies are used to strip someone of their responsibility in the situation. We give excuses so that someone can say, it's not my fault. Or when it comes to our children, so we can say, oh, this isn't their fault. It's someone else's fault. It's the other person. It's their circumstance. It's their situation. It's their health. Most of the time, it's also a lie. We've been given this authority. Remember in Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. You go, therefore. Now, people read that. Well, he's given all the authority, but he tells us to go. What? He's got the authority. I don't have the authority. Well, people understood in the new covenant, when I receive what Jesus did, Everything that is his becomes mine. So when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, you go therefore, people automatically knew, if he's got it, I've got it. Which means I can use it. So we've got authority like Adam had. Actually, we have better authority. He walked with God, God walks in us. That's a better deal. So I've got the authority, but I can fall for the same mistake that Adam fell for when he said, it's not my fault. Why'd you do this, Adam? It's not my fault. Was it Adam's fault? Absolutely it was. But he was afraid and he wanted to hide behind his excuse. Excuses are incredibly dangerous to our authority because excuses, again, seek to strip us of responsibility in a matter. And if I'm not responsible for this, then I don't have to fix it. You go into someone's house, their toilet's overflowing. What do you say? Your toilet is overflowing. (laughs) That is not my responsibility. But if it's my house, it is my responsibility. It's my toilet. Amen. And sometimes we look at situations in our lives and we say, someone fix this. It's not my responsibility. Why? Because we've gotten used to being the victim in our lives rather than being the person who holds the rein and steers our lives where it needs to go. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Not just a life, your best life. Your best life. But your best life is connected to what you've been given authority to do. It's connected to your responsibilities in life. This isn't one of those 
oh, this is awesome messages, but it'll help us turn to enjoy our best life. That's the problem with this message that gets over into this extreme grace thing. It's as if you can do about anything and life is just going to be wonderful. No, it won't. You'll have life, but you'll never have life more abundantly. That's why the Bible tells you there are certain things you can and cannot do. Not because God loves you any less. Listen, you'll never be any more right with God than you are right now. You'll never be any more right because that has nothing to do with you and I. It has everything to do with Jesus. But me enjoying the best life, that does depend on the choices I make. I can't just do anything I want and think that I'm going to enjoy life more abundantly in the earth. But if you remember in John 10, 10, we got to go back to the first part of that verse. It says the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he want to steal? Your best life. What does he want to kill? You. That's an easy one. Well, if he's stolen your best life and he's killed you, then what is he going to destroy? Your legacy. He wants there to be no story of you ever existing in the earth. He wants to wipe your fingerprints off of everything that you do, and it's as if you didn't even matter. How does he do that? He'll go after your children. You see, I've got to make sure that when I am living my life and walking in this authority, I take responsibility and I have to train my children to take responsibility in life as well. If I don't, what will happen? They won't feel as if they're responsible for much of anything. Then they won't use their authority and they'll never live that best life. And it's as if I never even existed. Because my name lives on long after I'm dead and gone to heaven. Not like, amen. So what we have to do is we have to pay attention to that. We will never reach the heights of God's best. We will never reach the heights of God's best when we lower ourselves to a lifestyle of excuse. You will never live God's best as long as you continue making excuses. Me either. We just can't. As long as we make excuses, we won't take responsibility, we won't walk on our authority, we won't see God's best. So, the authority of the believer, we all get excited about that, but if I've got authority, I've got to realize I've also got responsibility then. What's the use of having all this authority if I'm going to do nothing with it? There are things in my life that I am responsible for. And today what we're going to do is we're going to focus, for my remaining amount of time, we're going to focus on the importance of training our children to be responsible people. Now, if you don't have children, rest assured there will be tidbits in this that will apply to you as well and help you. Maybe your kids are grown, then maybe you can use some of this to help your grandchildren. A good man and woman leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Maybe you can help salvage and, and keep your grandkids out of some destruction because you recognize the importance of their having responsibility in an issue. But it's, it's critical. So the title of today's message, actually, is just a question. Am I training up a victim? Am I training up a victim? Am I training up a young person who it's not my fault or it's not fully my fault where I am or this situation? Lie, uh, excuses, or lies. Now, there is a difference between someone having a legitimate reason why something happened and someone having an excuse. If it's a legitimate reason, it's because they, they, they couldn't fulfill their responsibility. It wasn't possible. 
You see someone, they don't come to church, and you call them because you're concerned, and you're like, hey, I didn't see. Is everything okay? Well, yeah, my car broke down on the way to church. Well, that's a legitimate reason. Well, I wasn't at, you weren't at church today. I want to make sure of the case. Well, I got up and the kids were a little grumpy, so I didn't come. That's an excuse. That's playing the, that's, that's a parent playing the victim. Well, I know that I should have done the right thing, but you don't understand my children's feelings overcame my ability to do right. See, a victim is always overpowered by something. It's an excuse. And what am I doing? I'm training my children to be a victim when I live the life of a victim in front of them. So let's look at Proverbs 22.6. It's so exciting, isn't it? It'll help us. It'll help us. How many of you want to live your best life in God? Yeah. But if we ask the same question, how many people want to be more responsible? We're like, well, I don't know about that. That's... Well, it's just a matter of using what we've been given to walk in what God has given us to walk in. So Proverbs 22.6, one of my favorite verses. There's so much in this verse. And we're going to break this down into three different sections. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. We're going to look at the last part first. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. I've got to quit focusing on the now when I look at my seven-year-old and I need to think about what kind of child will this decision turn them into when they are 30. So when I'm sitting down across the table for my 30-year-old, what kind of person do I want to see? Who do I want to see? See, I've got to take these short-term decisions when they're young so that I will reach the long-term goal. What is a long-term goal? What are they going to be when they're 30? What am I looking at? Are they responsible? Are they truthful? Do they love God? Are they in a church? Are they a tither? Do they have faith? Are they married? How is their marriage? Do they have children? How are their children? Are, uh, uh, when pressure comes in difficult situations, do they rise to the occasion or do they do what Adam did, run and hide? Every decision I make when they're young will have an effect on how they are when they're old. Now, don't get me wrong. When your kids get older, they make decisions that sometimes you think, where'd that come from? That's why the Bible says, as arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of our youth. When they're in our homes and under our authority, we're aiming them constantly. But there does come a point where we let them go. And once we release them, then they have decisions that they're going to make. But I can't act as if how I aim them has nothing to do with it. How I aim them will determine the likelihood of their hitting their target or them not hitting their target. So I have to ask myself, when I'm looking at them and they're 30, is that what I want to see? And is this decision today going to lead to that? If it's not, I'm on the wrong path. Don't make that decision. Do something different. Again, when we're looking in the eyes of our cute little kid, we can let... And listen, kids are great manipulators. They really are. They are excellent manipulators, skilled in it. Uh, Okay, okay, forget it, forget it, forget it. Mom, Dad, oh, it's okay, forget it, forget it, forget it. They're great at it. But you have to live above that. Is this decision going to lead to what I want to see when they're 30? No. Then don't make that decision. Amen? Amen. This middle part of the verse. Train them up in the way they should go. There are three different tracks for every person in the earth. Number one, 
There's general Christian instruction. They are things that we see in the Bible that apply to everybody. No one is exempt. No one is exempt. Don't lie. Don't murder. It applies to everyone. So there's general Christian instruction that is part of the way they should go. And then the Amplified Classic says, in keeping with their particular gift or bent. What's that? That's a little different. That's their specific calling. There's general, but then there's specific callings. Not every kid's called to go to college. Some kids are called to be in a trade school. Some kids are called to be a stay-at-home parent. Some will be ministers. Some will be doctors. Some will be teachers. Some will be conservation officers. What's that? That comes, that revelation comes through prayer and fellowship with the Father. You get direction specifically about what you are supposed to do or your child is supposed to do. Then what do you do? Every decision you make in life is based on that. I want to see them in God's will when they're 30, so i got to make decisions concerning their particular gift or their particular bin. That's why in our house we've got three different kids. They all have three different callings. My decisions concerning all of them are the same when it comes to general Christian living, but when it comes to their calling, every decision is different. Can I do this? You can. You cannot. How come they get to do it and I don't get to do it? Because this is going to lead them to their call. This is going to distract you from your call. This is going to allow you to get involved in something that's not on your path. And you're going to start developing an appetite for the wrong thing. It's not evil. It's not bad. But you're going to develop an appetite for the wrong thing. So I'm going to guide you from that because you're going to start wanting to be a part of something that you're not called to be a part of. It's not bad. And listen, they can be doing great things and they can have great fruit, but that's not you. If you get involved in that, you won't have great things. You won't have great fruit because you will be out of the will of God for your life. So you've got general Christian instruction, then you have specific Christian instruction, and then you have instruction from the Word of God about just being an adult. In our home, we call it adulting. Adulting. I don't feel like going to work today. Welcome to adulting. I don't feel like doing that. Welcome to being an adult. Because as long as I treat my children like babies, I'll have babies. 30, 40, 50-year-old babies that I will have to hold their hand and walk them through life because they know how to do nothing. I love them, but sometimes you got to make the hard call. So when they're, four, when they're 30, what do I want to see? I've got to train them up in the way they should go. And then the first part, train up. This is where we miss it. Now, I'm not telling you that I've never missed it. I'm the only parent in the history of Church on the Rock who had to sit with my, pre, my nursery child in the nursery for a month straight because she wouldn't quit pulling hair. We've got the month-end policy. If your kid keeps misbehaving and it doesn't get fixed at home, you've got to sit with them for a month in the class so you can be there to help them direct their behavior when they do the wrong thing. We're the only, I'm the only parent in the history of this church who's ever had to do that, ever. That's me. <laughs> Chloe, our middle child, spent two years on red light at Christian Academy, Indiana. She was Sister Red Light. Good morning, Chloe. Why don't we just move you from green automatically? If you don't know what red light is, it means as a, as a child, you've had a bad day in class. And she lived on red for two years. So again, I am not perfect at this. And then we have young Samuel. Had a hallelujah night years ago. 
It's where the kids dress up as a Bible character, and they get to go up front, and people guess at what their, their character is. And when they get done, they get to go and get a toy out of this big bin, and they get to take it home with you. Apparently, one night, Sammy wasn't called on quickly enough. He had his on this Nerf sword, which is the perfect weapon of mass destruction for when your sisters try to come into your room. And he wanted this sword. And apparently the longer it went that he didn't get picked, the more frustrated he became. So when I finally picked a kid and it wasn't him, all of a sudden I hear this wail from over on the side of the room. And I look over and it's my, oh, oh, look, wonderful. It's my child in front of the whole church wallowing around like a beached whale. When's my turn? Yeah, that's me. That's my kid. Good Lord, who's that undisciplined child? Mine. Well, actually, it's his mother's. So what happens while I'm standing up there? Mother just very gingerly gets up, walks over, picks him up, and walks him out. Of course, my exact words, that's not going to end well. Takes him to the kitchen, and guess what? Spanks his butt. And thankfully, he hasn't done it since. So believe me, I'm not coming from a place of my kids are perfect. My kids have been a dumpster fire every once in a while. So that's certainly not what we're saying, but the word works every time when we work it. Training is not just telling them what to do. Some parents think, well, I told them. That's not training, that's teaching, that's the first part, that's important, but I've got to train them, which means when I train them, I make them go through the process time and time again. It means I give them responsibility and I make you do it again. Training comes through repetition. You're going to do this again and again and again and again and again until you get it right. Training comes through example, what they they see me live. Training comes through impartation, the laying on of hands and the supernatural that takes place. But the thing about training, if you think about the military, they show them what to do, they train them how to do it, and they they put them in real life situations and let them deal with the pressure of the situation. Moms and dads, quit rescuing your kids. Quit trying to fix everything for them. Quit trying to iron out their path. Quit trying to remove all the obstacles. Quit trying to interfere if they're being bullied. Now listen, I'm not saying if the kid's going to get hurt. You don't interfere. But here's the problem. There have been times in my kids' lives when God has told me, stay out of it. I could fix it. I had the authority to fix it. I could step in. I could make this less problematic for them. I can fix this. I'm dead. And God said, you stay out of it. And they explained why. He said, when they're young, the decisions they make aren't really that important many times. And the consequences aren't that great. If your kid makes the wrong decision and there are going to be negative consequences as a result, let them go through the consequences. It's what God did with Adam. God didn't say, oh, you ate the fruit. Well, let me fix this. He said, oh, you ate the fruit. Get out. I'm not talking about kicking your kid out of the home. What I'm saying is if your kid has made a bad decision and gotten themselves in a bad situation and their reputation takes a hit and they have to be embarrassed, or they have to deal with the consequences of the bad decision, let them do it. Not if it shipwrecks them, but let them deal with it. And here's why. Because they have to learn from their decisions. 
The next time the situation like that comes up, they're going to remember, you know, I made this decision the last time. I didn't like how it turned out. I'm not doing that again. If I always try to fix it for my kids, they'll never understand that there are truly consequences for their decisions. They'll never understand that there truly is seed time and harvest. Because I fix it for them. We've got to prepare our kids for their path, not prepare the path for our kids. We're called to train our kids for life, not shield them from it. See, because if my kid doesn't learn how to deal with this situation here, they didn't a big deal, and the consequences aren't that great, the next one will be bigger and greater. And then the next one. The older you get, the more important your decisions and the bigger the consequences. And God told me, if you keep fixing it for them, there's going to come a point in your life when you can't. You can't fix their marriage. You can't fix their workplace problems. You can't fix the boss who's a bully. You can't fix the devil who's a bully for them. He said, you can't fix these things. So if they never learn how to deal with these things in steps as they get older, and the first time they have to deal with these things is when they're adult, it's going to be a mess. And he said, that's partially your fault. Because you never let them deal with unpleasantness and difficulties. You always tried to fix it for them. He said, that's not training them. In the military, you don't have these guys in these situations and something goes wrong and someone runs up and said, oh, that's okay. Let me fix this for you, private. They say, strap it up, get it on, grow a backbone, get in there, fix it. It's your responsibility to fix it. Hallelujah. There will come a point where I can't fix it for them. I can't. I can't fix it for them. I can pray for them. I can't fix it for them. They have to learn how to be able to deal with the situation themselves. Or I'm always going to be bailing them out for the rest of their lives. What kind of 30-year-old would that be? It would be a 30-year-old I'm eating with, and at the end of the, at the, end of the meal, they said, Thanks, Dad. Can you pay for this? And a hush fell across the congregation. (laughs) And one of the things that creates the greatest issues for young people are the excuses we make for them. If you want to cripple your children, make excuses for them. Make excuses for them. It'll cripple them. Over the last 30 years that I've been involved with young people, I've heard a lot of excuses. Here are some of my favorites. <laughs> and by the way, when, 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 when your children make decisions and, and do things and get themselves in trouble, um, you know, it's on them. They've got to fix it. I had a parent one time, well, I just don't feel like people respect my child. Well, whose fault is that? No one owes you respect. Let me say that again. No one owes you respect. See, we've confused honor with respect. Honor is unchanging. And it's associated with a position or a title. The Bible says, honor your father and mother in the Lord because there are benefits to that. You honor an office. Honor is connected to an office or a position. We're told to honor civil authorities in our lives. The president, the vice president. It doesn't matter if you like them or you don't like them. That position is worthy of honor. Police officers. Ministers. The office that they hold is owed 
honor. It has nothing to do with the person. It has to do with the position. Honor is all about what Jesus did. Respect is all about what you do. Honor is all about your grace. Respect is all about your works. If you hold a position, you, that position is owed honor. But as far as respect for me personally, it can be earned or it can be lost by what I do. So quit thinking everybody should respect your kid. No, they shouldn't. Your kid has to earn respect. I was talking to a doctor about this one day. He said, that's absolutely right. People have to earn respect. It doesn't just fall on them. And you earn it by what you do. Amen? So I've got about um, 10 minutes I guess these are my top six excuses over 30 years of dealing with young people and their parents. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. A young person gets into a situation, they respond a certain way, and the parent says it's not their fault. Listen, as long as you have an excuse, you never have to take responsibility. No amount of wrong that is ever done to me can justify my doing wrong in return. Let me say that again. No amount of wrong that someone ever does to me or my children can justify their doing wrong in return. Because when I tell them that it's all right for that to happen, I'm telling them you're a victim to what other people do. You didn't have the ability to do what's right because they did wrong to you. So as long as someone does bad to them, they think it's okay to do bad back. What is that? You're a victim to what other people do. My children have tried that. My kids have tried that. How well did that go over, you guys? Chloe, did it go well for you? Sam? No. I don't raise victims. I don't allow victims in my home. Don't feed me that garbage. That's a lie. You always have the ability to do right every single time. It is a choice. It is a choice. If you live as a victim, then your happiness is determined by what someone else says, by what someone else does, by your emotions, by your feelings. So your great day is determined because someone did something that made you feel great. Your bad day is determined by someone did something that made you feel bad. That's a lie. You are in control of your life. No one else is in control of your life. Some boy isn't in charge of your life. Some girl isn't in charge of your life. Somebody's saying the wrong thing to you or saying the right thing to you. It doesn't change anything. You can do right every single time because it is your choice. You've been given the authority by God to do right. Quit lying by giving me excuses for your wrong choices. It's no one's fault but your own. So it is your fault. Now that doesn't mean that maybe someone else hasn't been involved, but how does their wrong make you do wrong? It doesn't. You just decided to do wrong and you thought that would be an excuse that I would buy. The reason I kept, the the reason people kept getting excuses from their kids is because they keep working. If after a while you don't accept excuses, you'll stop getting them. See, a, a, an excuse is the confession of a victim trying to justify why they're a victim. Well, hallelujah. Again, how does this deal with authority? Because if I don't realize it is my responsibility to address this issue, I'll never use my authority to do it. 
And if my children have been raised to never take responsibility for what they're doing in life, they will struggle to use their authority. Uh, think about this. Let's say we've got two kids and you've got one kid and you say, you're going to do push-ups every day. And the other kid and you say, you're not. After five, after five years of that, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to be very proficient at their push-ups and somebody will not. If you have a child raised in a home where they are bathed with excuses... Five years later, when it's time to take responsibility, they're going to struggle because they've never really had to take responsibility. Mommy fixed everything for me all the time. A kid where excuses are not allowed, five years later, taking responsibility isn't going to be a problem. I've done it the last five years. I've got a head start. It is good. It's just not very popular. Letter B. Well, you know, I was the same way when I was their age. That's favorite excuse number two. You didn't know what they know. You didn't know what they know. What you know you are responsible for. When you let your kids get away with that foolishness because you think, well, I was there that way when I was their age, then you're not realizing there are greater consequences for them doing that than there were you because they're responsible. They know better. And listen, if you're going to use that excuse, then quit saying my ceiling is their floor. Quit acting like they're going to stand on my shoulders and reach further and go higher in the things of God than I did because of, because of what? You keep pulling them back down when you say, well, they were the same way. I was the same way when I was their age. When you make that excuse, you're pulling them back down to where you are. How then is your ceiling ever going to be their floor if you keep using excuses to pull them back down to where you are? They won't. That's an excuse. It's a lie, but it's an excuse. And they won't go further faster than you because you keep pulling them back down with your excuses. Oh, their behavior's okay. I did the same thing when I was their age. They didn't, you didn't know any better. You were stupid, like me. I was dumb. I expect my children's life to look much different than mine did when they're 20 and 30 and 40. So I'm not going to make excuses and keep pulling them back down to where I am. If they're going to be where I am, then they're going to live the way I lived. Hallelujah. The word helps, doesn't it? Can you see how excuses are so dangerous? When I make an excuse for my kid, it's almost as if I'm confessing over them, you're a victim, you're a victim, you're a victim. Would I tell my kids you're stupid? Would I tell my kids they're dumb? Then why would I make excuses for them? I keep confessing, you're a victim. You're a victim when I make excuses for their behavior. Are there power in our words? Absolutely. Excuses are a confession. It's okay, honey, if you didn't do it. I didn't like that rule either. It's a dumb rule. What happened? You're training your kids that some rules are important, some are not. And then they're going to decide which. And then what has happened is they will take that and they will apply that to the Bible. And they will think, well, some things in the Word are good. Why? Because that's been their lifestyle. That's been their habit. Well, some of the things are right and some of the things, and then, and then they can't, and then they never know how to qualify for anything. They can't qualify. They've never had to qualify. Why? Well, because if there were certain rules that were needed for them to qualify, mommy just said, oh, that's a stupid rule. Ignore it. And then they'll struggle to qualify. Why? Well, that's a dumb rule. I don't have to do it. It applies to all of us all the time. The word of God. 
My favorite. My favorite of all time is the parent. Well, wait, let me go to another one first. Well, no, I'll go to this one. This is my favorite of all time. And we'll finish with this one. It's the parent who wants to tell their side of the story. Well, wait, they need to hear my side of the story. This is my favorite. So you want me to hear your side of the story of why your kid did wrong. Well, I just want to tell my side of the story. That's not what you're doing. Because, listen, how is what you're going to tell me make the wrong that your kid did right? What are you going to tell me that's going to magically turn their wrong into a right? Nothing. See, what is that? That's trying to deflect responsibility. That's the opposite of what I just said. I tell my kids, you are not a victim. You are responsible for what you do every single time. It has nothing to do with anybody else, and it never will. But what if someone treats me badly? You can't live above that. You can't forgive, which is something the Bible tells us to do. You're a victim then. Let me tell my side of the story. Well, number one, anything you say is not going to make your child's wrong right. Nothing. So don't think that's going to fit. And listen, if you're a parent and you, have, and you say, okay, this is what you did, here are the consequences, and then your kid tells you their sob story and you change the consequences, yeah, yeah. you let them manipulate you. They worked you. They worked you. What did you just teach them? Well, what I did was wrong, but because they did wrong, what I did wasn't as wrong. Yes, it is. The wrong is wrong regard. I don't care what anybody did to you. You did wrong. Listen, you're going to get five swats before I hear your sob story, and you're going to get five swats after I hear your sob story. And actually, after I hear your sob story, you might get six because you're making excuses. The consequences don't change because of what someone else did to you. Let me tell my side of the story. They need to hear my side of the story. Everybody's just hearing a side of the story. It won't make your kids wrong right. And what you're going to try to do is bring up the wrong that the other person involved did. See, in the hopes that, well, if their wrong looks bad enough, then my kid's wrong won't look as bad. What you're trying to do is throw dirt on the reputation of the other person so your kid looks cleaner. That doesn't help anybody. It just makes everybody dirty. And by the way, when you do something like that, what happened to that verse that says, love covers a multitude of sins? Or love doesn't take an account of a suffered wrong? You've not only taken account, you're insistent on telling your side of the story so you can broadcast what their kid did wrong in that situation. Your side of the story. It's an excuse. And our children learn from that. And what does that teach my children when I do something like that? I want to tell my side of the story. What's that teach my children? My children walk away thinking this. Well, someone threw me under the bus, but bless God, I'm going to take as many people with me as I can. That's what they learned from that. If I want my children to take responsibility and then walk in their authority that God's given them, I can't make excuses for them. I just can't. My kids are not a victim of their health. 
They're not a victim to their emotions. They're not a victim to what other people do to them. They're not a victim to where they grew up. They're not a victim of any of those things. God's given them complete authority to fulfill all God's called them to do. And the longer I make excuses for them, the longer they will use that as a way out so that they don't have to be responsible. Listen, it's much easier to be a victim than it is to be responsible. It's like the lazy river at the water park. You throw your inner tube in, you sit on your inner tube, and you just sit there. And let life take you where you could be going to a gator pit. <laughs> but at least you're comfortable on your way. By the way, there's a reason they call it a lazy river. If I'm going to take responsibility, what do I have to do? I have to flip over, get on my belly, and paddle upstream. Because that's not the easy thing, but that's the thing we've been empowered by the Holy Ghost. Remember, you'll have power. I can't do it. Let the Holy Ghost help you do it. But he can't do it without your help. Amen. So I have to ask myself, am I training up a victim? Am I letting my children get out of taking their responsibilities because of their excuses? Am I making excuses for my children? Am I training myself to be a victim? If you're still in the earth, you're still being trained, regardless of our age. So am I making myself a victim by my choices and my excuses? Am I letting my children be a victim because of that? It's dangerous. It's dangerous, beloved. It's dangerous. Uh, 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 <laughs> you, you watch children that grow up in homes that are full of excuse, and you look at their lives and their lives as adults, they're always blindsided by life. There's always drama. There's always some problem. There's always some issue. Kids who aren't raised in homes like that, they just keep on keeping on. One learned how to take responsibility. The other didn't learn how to take responsibility. Because when a child who's not used to responsibility has something go wrong, someone has to blame. And it can't be them because they've never been responsible for much of anything in their life. So, well, I can blame God, but in a church like ours, we're well taught. We know that God doesn't do bad things. Well, I can't use that excuse because everybody will know that's a lie. Well, I could blame someone else. Well, no, if I blame other people, that looks bad because uh, love covers a multitude of sins. I can't do that. What do I, I know what I'll do. I'll blame the devil for all my problems. <laughs> people love to blame the devil for the consequences of their poor decisions. Sure. They neglect to realize their seed time and harvest. Why is that happening? Oh, it's the devil. Devil's attacking me. Devil's attacking me. Well, I thought you had authority. Yeah, he attacks. I understand. And listen, we got to use our authority to get out of that situation. But you keep saying the devil's the reason this is happening. This has nothing at all to do with the fact that in this area of your life, you've had five straight years of bad decisions. You've made bad decisions for five years. And you're now at this place, and this is all the devil's doing? You had no part in being his accomplice in your issue? See, when we take responsibility, we have to understand, I'm responsible for some things in my life. When there's a problem that shows up in my life, the first place I look is me. I look in the mirror. Did I create this? And I'm not saying that to be rude or mean, but listen, if I never realized that I could be the biggest part of my problem then I'll never fix that. And I'll keep having problems and never realize I'm the source of it. I'm the one who created this. A lot of non-smiles and just staring. But the word helps. Can you see? Can you see the importance of understanding that I'm responsible? 
Can you see that we've been given all of this authority? But if I don't think I'm responsible for it, I won't change anything. And can you understand the danger of making excuses in your life? Again, a little, excuse me, did you hear that? It's like puberty or something. There's a difference between a legitimate reason why, but mostly it's just excuse. Mostly it's just excuse. God has given me authority. With that, just like Adam, he's given me responsibility. Now it's my job to carry it out. Thankfully, with the hope of the Holy Ghost, he's here to help me. But he helps me. So ask yourself. Ask yourself. Don't answer, but just ask yourself. Have I let my children play the victim? Have I played the victim? Have I made excuses? Have I done that? Now, don't beat yourself up for it, but recognize it and then move beyond it. Because we'll never live our best life as long as we make excuses for where we are. We'll never live it. I realize this wasn't a feel-good message. But the word, can you see? Can you see, just looking at the word and stepping back, really, oh my goodness, that is the truth in that area. That I recognize, oh my goodness, I recognize, well, that's what the word, the Bible says the word is light. It helps brighten things and helps us recognize those things. Amen? Praise God, love you. Love the word, and the word helps, and the word helps every time, and the word always works. Amen? And now it's time for me to take responsibility. For you life group co-leaders, I messed up. I sent you guys a couple emails about when we're going to eat. And I think at one, I told you noon. And the other, I told you one o'clock. We're going to eat at noon. (laughs) Amen, that's right. (laughs) We're going to eat at noon. So we're just going to go back and eat and have our meeting right after we get done. They should have things set up. But the word helps us. And the word helps us every time. Amen. Amen. Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your grace and your peace for your favor. We thank you, Father God, for helping us to see the importance of our decisions, the importance of taking responsibility, and the importance of avoiding excuses in our life because it seeks to keep us from being responsible for what it is you've asked us to do. I thank you for the angels that go with my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the peace that's on them. I thank you, Father God, for for raises and surprising checks in the mail and discounts and dividends. And I just thank you, Father, for your, 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 your hand on them and people will see as they live their lives, oh my goodness, I want what they have. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. And those of you who are going to the co-leader meeting, it's in the large fellowship hall in the back right after service. Thank you guys for coming.